Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about some stuff in a fantasy book. I'm the son of that equation, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim. We have a great episode here today. We're glad you're with us. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. It was an interesting day for sure. The Wi-Fi went out at the clinic that I was at, which you would think is not so bad. But that meant everything had to be done on paper like the olden days, kind of. Which would be fine if we were actually built to run on paper, where not everything is all through an online system. It was a mess, and I'm just glad it was here on a weekend day when it was not quite as busy. Men come to rely on technology. Uh, yeah. It's uh, a useful tool. <laughs> How are you, Dad? I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm dealing with a bout of allergies. I mean, not really, but if you remember, you've known this for years, I'm pretty sure, I have something called virally induced allergies, though I don't think I really had a virus. But anyway, something's triggered my cough. It's not COVID, nothing like that. Gotcha. I don't have any symptoms or anything. I just, my cough is here. And so I'm back to taking, um, oh, that over-the-counter stuff that knocks Claritin. That's it. Ah. Uh, Claritin, you can now send us a donation for sponsoring you. So I'm taking my Claritin once a day to get the cough to go away. And it's working. Is that why you always took Claritin once a day? It was because of, like, virally induced allergies? That's it. I thought you had seasonal allergies or something. No. If I don't have something that triggers the cough occur, I'll go a season without it happening at all. But if you do, you basically got bronchitis. Uh, No, it doesn't get that deep. It doesn't get down into the chest at all. It's all in the throat. It's just like a throat tickly thing. Just a tickle that won't quit. Yeah. And it, Claritin is the only thing that finally does work it. So I'm, I'm doing that. But other than that, I'm fine. Question. Have you tried eating kiwi to counteract? Because <laughs> no. that does funny things to your throat, too. <laughs> that's what I am allergic to. So <laughs> that's insane. Don't you work in a medical practice and you're giving me that kind of crappy advice? <laughs> it doesn't mean I give you actually good advice oh, in man. this context. I'm here for comedy. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, that's like a lawyer saying, yeah, go for it. What's the worst that can happen? Someone sue you? Nah. <laughs> okay. Suing costs a lot of money. What are you drinking today, Zach? You know, a bit of this and that. It was I didn't have enough mango rum left to make a drink just with that. So instead, I put some mango rum and some pomegranate liqueur and some lemon vodka. And I haven't tasted it yet. Ah. Here it goes. All right. Hope it's good. It looks fine. Looks like a beverage. That's not bad. All right. I will not make another considering I don't have any mango rum left. But it's not bad. Okay. Well, for this here, our 82nd episode, as we're continuing to work through the Dragon Reborn, I created a Watt Tale, something I figure is appropriate. I call it the Salmon Run. Get it? Uh, I went with that partly because I thought I'm going to make something that's a little bit salmon colored, but it turned a lot more like strawberry colored. (laughs) It's a little redder than I intended, but... I'm still sticking with the name. Uh, Salmon Run is made from sweet vermouth, a lot of rum, a little splash of triple sec, and a little splash of grenadine. There you go. Yeah, it looks like it was a big splash of grenadine. I think I, yeah, I sloppily splashed. Indeed. 
That's the only <laughs> thing that gave color to it at all, really. Well, no, that's not true. The sweet vermouth was a little darker. But anyways, that drink will, as always, be posted to our drink recipes on our Discord server, the Ad Appropriate channel, as well as up to our Instagram with pictures of what the drink looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, this is our third to last episode on the Dragon Reborn. I'm excited. I'm so glad you put the on the Dragon Reborn part, because in our <laughs> notes here, it says it's our third to last episode, and I panicked. <laughs> That's right, Zach. <laughs> I have to break it to you. We're done! No. Third to last on this book. And I'm excited to cover the content we've got today. But we do have some notes I want to make sure we bring people up to speed on. I'm going to talk fast, because there's quite a few things, and I don't want it to take the next 20 minutes of the episode. Good idea. I want to point listeners to the special wrap-up live stream episode we've got planned for January 8th, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, a massive discussion and celebration at the conclusion of The Dragon Reborn. And we're going to have some fun with that. We're going to take some different looks mm-hmm. at the content. Some of it will be more deep dive. Some of it will be just goofy, having fun. Um, but it's open to everybody. It will be streamed to our YouTube channel live and we've got three fantastic guests from other amazing podcasts joining us so drew mccaffrey the co-host of the inking out loud podcast and a huge wheel of time fan will be with us Mm -hmm. we've got joe perry one of the hosts of talk around riyadh the wheel of time showcast and alan witt a lead host of the popular podcast the wheel reads where he's taking two friends both first-time readers through the wheel of time all three of these are guests we've collaborated with before, and mm-hmm. we're thrilled to have them all come together for this one special event. It's going to be fantastic. Mark your calendar. You won't fun want time. to miss it. When was it again? January 8th, a Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Woo! Now, again, that will be on our YouTube channel. Speaking of YouTube, there's something else I just dropped into our YouTube channel, specifically on the collaborations playlist. Because I got invited to talk with Spencer from the Fantasy Files YouTube channel recently. Mm-hmm. He's a first-time reader moving through the Wheel of Time. And he had just finished up The Dragon Reborn. Reached out, said, hey, would you be willing to come talk about it? Would I be willing to come talk about it? We talked for over three hours. Now, the episode he's got there is just a little over two hours. So he did some editing magic. Got it down to a reasonable consumption. Uh, But it's great. Good conversation. Spencer was a great host. I encourage you to find it on our YouTube channel and check out Spencer's YouTube channel too. He and his friends who do this, the fantasy files and all sorts of fantasy content. Zach. Yes. With all the reading and content creation we've been involved with over the last year, Mm -hmm. I realized I've fallen behind in some of the TV and movies I like to keep up with. Well, movies are acceptable. Yeah, just recently I decided, hey, Marvel's been putting out a bunch of stuff. I should catch up. Okay. Now, it was easy to fall behind because Marvel's been putting out a lot of stuff for years now. And I think I was feeling a little bit of Marvel burnout. It's like, okay, enough, enough, enough. I want to do some other things. But I decided it was time to catch up on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. And as I did, I was thinking this might make for a good midweek special for us at some point. Not too far down the road. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about all this stuff Marvel's brought to the screen and how do we think they're doing? What do we think of the various movies and TV series? So not a lot about that today. Okay. I just want to ask you, 
Have you caught up on the same things that I've watched over the past few months as well as just recently? So first, have you watched WandaVision? Yes, we watched it together. Okay, I, you know, I know you were still home when I watched it, but you don't watch everything that we watch. No, but that so, one I made sure to, wa- to check. watch with you. Okay, the movie Black Widow? I watched it, like, last week. Ah, okay. Well, I only caught it about two weeks ago. So, all right. The TV series Loki? We watched that one together as well. Okay, Dad's memory is failing. <laughs> Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? I watched that one Monday. I just watched it last night. That was great. I enjoyed it. Your sister had really recommended that one. And I was like, oh, she was right. I mean, sometimes her taste, eh, not this time. This was good. Harsh. (laughs) Truth. (laughs) Hey, just because she really likes Star Wars deep dives into unofficial texts doesn't mean that there isn't good stuff. She really likes the inheritance cycle. Um, I'm not so sure about that one. I don't know. She, She didn't. Did she ever finish the last book? I'm pretty sure I got that one. I hear a lot of people don't finish the last book. I have no experience with it. I just hear. The third can be kind of hard to get through. Uh, What about Marvel's What If? Is that what it's called? Yes. The What If series? And I I haven't watched any of that. Have you watched those? I've watched most of it. I may have not watched the final one. Are they any good? It's entertaining. Uh, I do enjoy it. You might not as much just because, you know, it's animated and that's not really your thing. Yeah, but I hear they had a Marvel Zombies episode. They did. I'm like, oh, crap. I do need to watch these then, because I've read all of that oh, yeah, zombie no. content. It goes with I mean, a you lot of me. the Zombies. obscure comic possibility things. And some of the things out of the What, what If comic line, it's a lot of just fun, stupid fun, but also like okay. fits into the MCU, kind of. So I should check it out. Last one. It's on currently. Hawkeye. Have you touched it yet? No. Partially because it's on currently and partially because I am filling in the gaps, bits and pieces where Rach has not seen some of the MCU here and there. Ah, But Hawkeye is one of her favorite characters, uh, period. Mm. So I'm kind of trying to maybe wait to watch that one through with her. I may end up not waiting, but, you know, who knows? And since I've watched everything now except the what if stuff, we may start watching Hawkeye. Good. Okay. We're kind of getting close to the same page then. Yep. Speaking of TV series... Wheel of Time. Did you watch episode seven? Last night. Nice. Good, huh? It was okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, okay, we're not going to talk about the content so much here. We've got an episode planned down the road when the whole season's over that we're going to do a complete season wrap up of what we thought and all that. Playing most of my opinions very close to the chest. Whether it's me raving or me being against anything. So it was okay. There is a teaser trailer out for episode eight, which I'm avoiding because I think it's too full of spoilers. I don't want to know what they're going to show us for episode eight until I see episode eight. I I just caught a glimpse like peripherally out of the corner of my eye, and I think it's going to be pretty awesome. Will that be the finale of the first season? Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's it. I'm kind of hoping they can negotiate to, like, do more than eight episodes in future seasons. Or just do them more often. Because it's really rushed, you know, to, to have so much content in such a short little time. It would be nice if they can expand it to, you know, even if it's just ten episodes. Give us just a little bit more. Hmm. Just my thought. I want to introduce something that's coming soon from our channel, <sighs> our cast, and that is a new series of midweek specials we're going to do 
called the To Read or Not to Read series? That is the question. What we're going to focus on is talking at a high level, not spoilering, a high level talk on various fantasy series out there that we've read. Some that we've both read, some that just you've read, some that just I've read, but basically talking without ruining them, why someone should consider reading them, or why they might not want to read them. And maybe we'll even talk about both at the same time, because it depends on the person sometimes. That's valid. We'll be given an introduction, a cursory overview of some of these series, what their main tenets are, what the perspective or focus is, what quality we found in them, but we won't go deep into plot, nothing like that. And there's a lot we could talk about, but I want to have a little fun here. I want to give a chance for people to contribute to what series we talk about. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm going to be blatant and say we want to encourage more Patreon support. That's true. So we're using this as a way to say, hey, consider becoming a Patreon supporter, even for as little as a dollar a month. Help us cover the costs of everything we do in this podcast. But in doing that, I want you to become a patron as a way of voting. If you become a new Patreon supporter in the next few weeks here, once you've done that, send us a message, either through Patreon or on Twitter, Discord, any of the ways you can contact us. We'll have seen you're one of our new Patreon supporters. And tell us what series you really hope we will focus on with one episode of the To Read or Not To Read series. You got a favorite series? You got a series you love to hate on. (laughs) You got a series you just want to torture us with. I I don't care. If you're going to join us as a patron, we want to hear your vote. Now, what level of tier you choose to support us? Do they get more votes? Matches to how many votes? (gasps) Yes, because I'm going to say every dollar counts as a vote. Okay. So basic bottom tier, that's... $1, that's all it takes, that's one vote. But you go in at the $3 tier or $5 tier, you get that many more votes towards whatever you have picked. And what this all comes up to is two things. One, every series is suggested we will take into consideration. Definitely. It's just good ideas. If we've read them, definitely we'll be very likely to do them. But whichever series gets the most votes, we commit to doing for sure. And if we haven't read that series, that means it comes to the top of our TBR, we have to read that series so we can feature it. So there's the challenge. Here's a little thing for you. This is our to read or not to read series. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be a high level patron and bomb us with a series that you really think people shouldn't read just so that we have to, to be able to review it, it will work. That. that would work and we would have to. And, you know, keep in mind, with Patreon, you could join us as a supporter at the $50 level to just stuff the ballot box. And then after one month as that level of Patreon supporter, you could back it down to a dollar. I mean, you don't have to commit month after month to give $25 or $50. Stuff the ballot box one month, (laughs) then pull it down and be more reasonable to what you'd like to continue to support us for. Uh... So... Just a, it's a fun way to put it out there. And I, I will say we would love to have some more Patreon support because we're putting a lot of money into trying to give you the best content we can, including how we're getting much more of our YouTube content, video content out there now, too. And uh, yeah, there's a little cost. I'm willing to sacrifice and pay the price because <laughs> we love it. But helping us out with some more Patreon support would be fantastic. So there you go. Let's have some fun with it and let the votes come in. Final note for today. 
quick little one. Okay. We do have an, an episode of Special Midweek planned yes. coming soon where we're going to focus on The Witcher. Witcher Season 2 just dropped. Mm-hmm. Zach, have you started? Did you watch any of that? I last night? have not yet. Uh, it's something that once I start it, maybe I will after this episode, I will probably just binge it. Netflix does that thing where they just drop the whole thing. So you can do that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's still waiting for me. I haven't touched it. But when we get to that episode, we're having uh, Brendan, one of your friends, yes. who's a big Witcher fan, come on. And we'll talk about basically comparing the books to the content. I'm sure we'll even talk about the video games. And I know only what's on Netflix. <laughs> you guys are more knowledgeable. And it'll be a great conversation as we talk about this fantastic series and all its iterations. I imagine you'll read at least some of the books someday. Oh, I will. They're on my TBR along with yeah, spot 184 on the TBR. Now it's uh, approaching 400 books. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, yeah, I've got almost 400 titles now. Yeah, I just keep adding. Quick aside. <laughs> yeah. I know that Rachel's family likes me and my job likes me because between these two things, I have a disgusting amount of Barnes & Noble gift cards already and it hasn't even gotten Sweet. to our full holiday season. So I'm going to be getting more books. <laughs> nice. All right. That's the end of our notes. Let's dive in now. Chapter 50, The Hammer. We're bringing down the hammer, Zach. Are we? I thought we were going to MC or something. Can't touch this. Dun, 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 dun. We are returning to Perrin and his group in this chapter. Gotcha. As they are all pulling into the dock at Tyr. Okay. This is the final piece, really. Okay, we're bringing all the main characters to Tyr, assuming they were right, of course, that Rand was heading here, too. We haven't had a Rand oh, yeah. sighting at all. We don't know. It, we could be completely wrong. He could have decided to take a vacation and go off tanning a Tanchico. We just do not know. I hear the beaches are nice mm -hmm. there. Not so much here because as they're getting off the boat, we're in the mall again. So Perrin's seeing all this gunky mud and everything. Yeah. We do get an introduction through Perrin's eyes again of what Tyr is like. We're not going to go through all that again. We've seen that before from both Nynaeve and the girls, Nynaeve, Egwene, Elaine, and then uh, Matt and Tom, because they're all already here. So we won't hit a lot of that heavy here. Mm -hmm. But we do get a few things from Perrin's perspective that are worth noting. One is that as they're getting off the ship, he instinctively reaches out to see, are there any wolves? And then he pulls himself back. He's like, why am I doing this? Why do I even want to know? And it's highlighting how much more comfortable he's become with his wolfiness, even though he's not comfortable with his wolfiness. It's... So like he reaches out for wolves without even thinking about it. And then as soon as he realizes what he's doing, he stops it. An instinctual wolf dar. Yeah. Does he uh, find any wolves when he reached out, Zach? Not really. I mean, you get this issue just like we had in Ilion of lots of people. You're not going to get a lot of wolves. They don't like it to people. No. Nope. Those two legs suck. As they're getting off the ship, Zareen is peppering Perrin with questions. Why are we here? What What's going on? What are you guys seeking in Tyr? What's so important to the Greymen and Darkhands try to stop Does you? Does this have to do with Rand being the dragon reborn? Yeah, it's a whole mess of just all these questions all over each other and probably things she shouldn't be saying out loud. But, you know, <laughs> Perrin shuts her down. Talk to the hand. Talk to the paw. I'm a wolf. Whatever. Says, you will have your answers when Moiraine deigns to share them and not before. And internally, he grimaces at being stuck with this woman, his falcon from Min's vision. I mean, she may be beautiful, but she has a sharp tongue and a very demanding, pushy presence, and he's finding it very wearing. 
Ah, it sounds like a perfect match for a patient person like Perrin. <laughs> he thinks to himself, at least I haven't had to deal with Min's other two visions for me. You know, a honk and a Tuatha'an with a sword. I mean, really? A Tuatha'an with a sword? Uh, not exactly what one would expect. So he's like, maybe I can avoid those altogether. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, that would never happen. No, no, there's no way he'll have to deal with anything like that. It's noted briefly that Moraine has her Aes Sedai ring hidden, and Lan has packed away the water cloak. Mm-hmm. Incognito time again. And why is that, Zach? Well, last we heard, Tyr's not so friendly to the Aes Sedai, and in fact would jail or run out of town anyone who would be associated with the One Power or its use. She's a witch! Better! Well, I wonder if she floats. They're not quite white cloaks, but kinda. <laughs> As they proceed from the docks, going through this mud, again, we learned it was called the mall, mm-hmm. which reminds Perrin that he needs to finish his Christmas shopping. I do. Well, nope. Wait. Yeah, that that's us, actually. Christmas shopping. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> what he's actually reminded of is, this is gross, and look at these weird people. He sees the guys walking along with their baggy pants all held up high out of the mud and and those conical rice hats we talked about last episode. Mm -hmm. And he pictures for himself, just fleetingly, how he would look dressed in these crazy-looking outfits. And he kind of chuckles. That image. Ha! And Loyal, riding alongside, he seems to be, like, uh, more sensitive to what's going on around him than Perrin is. Because mm-hmm. he's like, why are you laughing? This isn't funny. Look at these people. They're so defeated and downtrodden. There's no humor here at all. To me, it's an f- interesting juxtaposition of personalities where Perrin is basically Robert Jordan, paying attention to clothes, clothes, and more clothes. <laughs> And Loyal is all of the readers who go, I want to care about the people and know what's going on, though. Perrin, redirected by Loyal, takes a closer look at the people, and he has to agree. They don't have any energy. They don't even seem curious to see an Ogier, a great lady, and this odd sort of people riding through on horses. It's like they don't even care to take notice. They're just sticks in the mud. It didn't quite work, Leaving but I'll go for it. They pass through the gates into the city proper, and the gate guards, they kind of frown at Lan's sword and and Perrin's axe, but they don't say anything. Mm. Again, to Perrin, it's like, that'd be too much work. They don't really have the energy to take the effort. It's weird. Look, when you don't get paid a lot, you don't want to have to deal with that paperwork. I don't want to work. I just want to go on with the next content. We get some general descriptions, as I said, of the city, but let's skip that. One thing that is mentioned is that he notices a lot of the women, the dresses they're wearing. Mm -hmm. It's more silk than wool. And it's added in that, ah, yes, the sea folk trade a good deal of silk through tear. So that's just a little bit of world building to note. We've had these mentions from time to time of the sea folk. It's also nice to just kind of loosely remember, hey... This is a different climate. This is going to be a little bit more muggy, like we just saw, and wool would not be the right call. Lan leads them to the Star, an inn settled between a weaver's shop on one side and a smithy on the other. And it strikes Perrin as an odd choice, because it's noisy. 
You got the rattle of the looms from the one side, competing against the pounding of iron and, and such from the smithy. Mm-hmm. And Zareen, she speaks aloud what Perrin is thinking. How are we supposed to sleep with this racket? Perrin, though, he smiles as he jibes back. No questions. <laughs> and he swears she nearly sticks her tongue out at him. <laughs> I'm like, they can't have those places in operation all hours of the night, can they? Yeah, did strike me as a little odd question there. I'm like, I'm sure it gets quiet at night. Nevertheless, it's driving home. It is very noisy. This is not a peaceful inn setting. The innkeeper, though, he approaches as they walk into the common room. He seems to sense this is a company of some importance. A lady and what seems to be her retainers and, oh my, an ogier. And this woman kind of dressed like a man. I don't know what to do with her. <laughs> and Zareen kind of senses that she does not like the innkeeper. It's like, yeah, I should be commanding some she... respect. I'm a hunter for the horn. You know, she's not saying any of that. She doesn't like a lot of people. It leaves her a little put out. But again, sensing the group as a whole seems to be something significant. The innkeeper arranges for some fine rooms for them and a private dining room for their company. And Moraine mm. thanks him for that. And once they're all settled, he heads back down to the common room, other works, and they're all left standing in the hallway outside Moraine's room. And Perrin says, okay, so how do we go about finding Rand? And Moraine's response is, you don't. Yeah, I've got some <laughs> thoughts, but yeah, they don't involve you. Just like you said, you don't. You guys, stay. Good boy. Sit. She wants them to stick close to the inn, and that's including Loyal, Perrin, Zareen. It's going to be Moraine and Lan leaving to see what they can find out. Doesn't Moraine know that, like, it's offensive in this world to compare wolves to dogs? You can't tell Perrin to sit and stay, okay? Now, she didn't. That was only me. And you've already given me crap about comparing wolves and dogs too much. Speaking of, from the Wheel of Time TV series, I actually saw someone complaining about that. That the wolves look too much like dogs. And I'm like, well, they kind of do look like dogs. I mean, have you seen a real wolf? <laughs> That's, that was my they, response. They look like dogs. I mean, I didn't write it. I just thought it. So anyways, with Moraine and Lan gone then, Zareen starts muttering. It's like, blankety blank, I'm stuck here in this situation and I can't even leave the inn and yada, yada, yada. She's pieced together that this Rand that Perrin asked about must be this dragon reborn that she's not supposed to know about but does now. And she's not really happy about being stuck in this circumstance and being told, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, just stay. Perrin's response is kind of blunt. What does he have to say to her, more or less? Basically, this is your fault. You chose this. You knew it was going to be a problem and you were going to be stuck with your choice and um, deal with it. Mm -hmm. He worked so hard to get her not to be part of this and she just refused to let go. He has no sympathy now. Perrin then leaves Zareen and Loyal and goes to his room, settles in, putting his stuff in various corners and whatnot. And as he's doing so, the sounds from the smithy are coming in through the window. And we all know Perrin. I mean, he's a blacksmith at heart. So mm -hmm. this sounds comforting. This sounds like home. Oh, you know, yeah. this is what he's familiar with and spent years around. Between every clang of the metal, he's just hearing, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. It works. Yeah, 
Exactly. If Perrin had been left alone, he'd still be working with Master Luhan, happy as a clam, making horseshoes. So, since he's supposed to stay near the inn, and it's right next door, he figures, I'm going to go check out the smithy. He does. He goes downstairs. He walks into the smithy next door, looks around. It's a big place. Lots of tools that he's very familiar with. But he only sees one person in there, the blacksmith, who's actually busy at work. And as he sees him working with a piece of iron, Perrin just goes and steps up to the gallows and... Bellows, not gallows. Gallows would be to hang gallows someone. Would be bellows death, is the yeah. word I want. Yes. It, and it was he, funny, he though. smoothly works the bellows to help the blacksmith have this piece of iron get just the right temperature. The smith just kind of looks at him once, but doesn't say anything, and accepts the help. And after they've worked together for a few minutes, he then comments, Apprentice? And Perrin says, Yes. So basically, they're putting away together long enough that the smith can sense. Perrin knows what he's doing. He must have learned something here somewhere along the line. But this is a complete stranger that's walked into my place and is just helping me out. So they work together for a little bit longer. And then the blacksmith takes a pause, collects a length of metal stock, unshaped metal, and gives it to Perrin and says, see what you can do with that. And Perrin is basically in heaven. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He gets to work. He looks around, he finds what he needs, he uh, takes his shirt off and grabs a apron, one of these blacksmith aprons, and puts that on, because it's hot work. Safety first, definitely put the apron on, stop the sparks, don't hurt yourself. I don't know enough about blacksmithing to know exactly why you need the apron, but I also do know you need it for safety. That's it, those sparks that can fly. But he loses the shirt because he's in tear. It's already hot, and now he's in a hot smithy so if he's gonna have an apron on he doesn't need the extra layer of clothes question is there a difference nope i think i'm answering my own question the difference between a smithy and a forge the forge is the actual part where you put the iron into the fire never mind. right right yeah i answered my own question and i'm done you did you did So Perrin gets to work with this piece of metal and the smith watches him just long enough to see Perrin does truly know his way around. He actually kind of nods and smiles approvingly and Perrin loses himself in the work for a while and he shapes this piece of metal eventually into a chamfer knife. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because I've never heard of it other than in this book. I would correct you, except I have no idea how. So maybe you're right. The point is, it's a specific tool used in the coopering trade, making barrels. You would think you might know something about that with your wine taste. I do. That's why I know coopering as a word, because that wasn't in the book. I just know that's what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, he was helping the blacksmith make bands for a barrel. That's what he was working on. Mm -hmm. So that kind of inspired him to then make a tool that would also be something useful in then putting barrels together anyways once he's done the smith has a few words of compliment about it and then offers Perrin a job apparently his three apprentices just recently walked off the job well that's lame did they unionize or something what's going on it's a walkout no apparently it's a symptom of what we've already seen amongst the people nothing matters I don't care. Apathy. I have no energy for anything productive. Yeah, apathy has taken huge root. 
And so he's got all these, all this work to do, a lot of orders for things, and it's just him. So he's like, I'd love to have you work with me. Perrin, of course, declines. He says, I don't know how long I'll be here, actually. But I'm happy to, you know, if you'll have me, I'm happy to help out for as long as I have. And the smith is, absolutely. And they get to it. Yeah. It's like, even better, you'll work, and I don't have to pay you. That's right. I'm just doing this for fun. They work for hours. And the day passes. And eventually it's night. Like the only light is what's coming out of the forge, the glowing coals. And Perrin looks up realizing, oh, the smith has taken his apron off. Apparently it's time to stop. And then he also notices Zareen sitting in the darkness staring at him. She's apparently been watching for quite some time. She comments on, so you apparently actually are a blacksmith. Yes, that is correct. He did not lie about that. And the smith. He comments, oh, indeed, he's a blacksmith. I mean, he said he's only an apprentice, but this work he's done today, I'd consider this his master's work. Now, do you know what that means? Do you know the context of that specific phrase? I'm going to loosely assume with context that the origins of the term for a masterwork is something that you've done basically so well that it is equivalent to the master's work and you no longer need to serve as the apprentice. It's kind of like final test passing on graduation thing. Precisely. Yeah. I got that. Usually the blacksmith will determine what that is. But basically, yes, the apprentice does something that proves his capabilities to a level that he graduates. Therefore, now colloquially, we just use masterwork to be like, hey, it's something that's really, really good. Maybe you try extra hard on because you want to make sure it's good. The blacksmith is giving a high praise to Perrin here. And he's saying, all the work you did today, this is not mere apprentice work. You know what you're doing, son. And I hope you go on to have your own blacksmith shop sometime soon. That would be quite the thing. And in fact, Perrin, you know, he's like, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And as he's going to hang up the hammer that he's been using for all this work, just a blacksmith tool, but a very nice hammer. Mm-hmm. The blacksmith says, no, 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 keep the hammer. It's the least I can do. That hammer is a very fine hammer. I usually don't give away my tools, but it's not worth nearly as much as all the work you did here today. And maybe it will help you be reminded to move on to your own time of blacksmithing in the near future. And Perrin, he's kind of like touched. That's a deeply moving gift to him. And Zareen's sitting there watching two guys just kind of getting emotional over a hammer. And she's like, yeah, I don't get men. Yeah. <laughs> it's a she's funny a little, thing in the text. A little confused. She's <laughs> like, did I stumble over into the MCU? Are we seeing who can pick up the hammer? I'm confused. <laughs> Are you worthy, Perrin? Ah. <laughs> uh. Perrin and Zareen return to the inn, and he heads to his room, and he he picks up the axe, his axe, and he holds both the hammer and the axe out in front of him. Now, the axe is a good five to six pounds lighter than the hammer. This hammer is designed for beating the heck out of metal as you're shaping it into something, so it is one solid tool. Mm -hmm. And the axe, of course, is a battle weapon designed for speed, designed for slicing and dicing. Cleaving. And to be used for a long time, if necessary, without you tiring. So there's a significant weight difference. And yet to Perrin, as he holds them both out in front of him, he feels like the axe is far heavier. What does he mean by that, Zach? 
Well, one holds his hopes and what he would like and the good things, and the other he looks at and goes, this kills people and I have to carry that emotional weight. That sucks. Wow, that was a very deep response. Well done. Was that not what you were going for? That was exactly what I'd hoped you'd do, (laughs) but you said it eloquently. It was very nice. Perrin sits in his room, then just contemplating these two objects for quite some time, until he's interrupted by Lan, poking his head in the door and saying, Yo, we need you. Come. Perrin's not exactly appreciative of Lan's brusqueness about it, but fine, whatever, and follows him down to the private dining room. And as he walks in, kind of starting to give Lan what for, Moraine interrupts him and says, Hey, about time you're here. And he finds, oh, everybody else is already here. So, loyal, serene, they're, they're waiting for him. And it's time now to share what Moraine knows. And here it is, dun-dun-dun. Okay. One of the Forsaken is in Tier 2, just like in Ilian, where Samael was posing as one of the... One of the... Oh my goodness, I'm blanking. You're good. Those nine... Those nine guys... They weren't called lords there. They were, what were they? I have no clue. I know we just were there. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Those top guys. Wow. This is how much information is in the wheel of time that you can just blank on something. And it's not even shocking. Also, titles are dumb. Period. (laughs) I will get hate for that one, but still. Here in Tyr, the guys are called High Lords, and it turns out one of the Forsaken is posing as a High Lord here. Yeah, that's not good. Just like Samuel is posing as some other top dude that we can't remember the name. And uh, this guy, this Forsaken, is Bilal. So Mm. welcome to another Forsaken, Bilal. And he's posing as the High Lord Salmon. Thus, my drink. Salmon, run! I mean, he spells it wrong. There should be an L in there. (laughs) Or we pronounce it wrong. Shouldn't it be Salmon, the fish? No, that is also incorrect. That's Um, how it's spelled. I will make my way over to you, pick up a filet, and slap you with it if you say it like that. (laughs) Well done. Nice. Well, your mom doesn't like Salmon anyways. Okay, so... (laughs) Someone's trying to get fish slapped. (laughs) Loyal's response to this is pure gloom, despair, and agony. Oh, I could have remained in the steading. Oh, come now, Loyal. Don't be so hasty. Uh, Moraine actually is very understanding. She says, well, I won't stop you. I mean, if you want to go, if you want to return back to the steading, I will certainly understand. Basically, she's calling his bluff. Yeah. Because Loyal, he's a worrywart, but he's not a coward. No. He replies, oh, oh, well, um, thank you, but no, I will stay. I won't abandon Perrin or Rand. Also, let's be real. Forsaken have nothing against the guilt and responsibility of your family and elders. That shame, that is so much worse. (laughs) Well, Moraine is pleased that Loyal has chosen to stay and says, you know, because we can actually use your knowledge. 
That'll be very helpful to us. But since you've decided to stay, suck it up. Okay, that's not how the text says, but she is a little abrupt with him, basically saying, no more complaints. I don't have time for this crap. I sometimes wonder, does Maureen actually not have time? Or is she just telling all the people to stop doing the things that are annoying her? Because she really seems to be telling people, stop complaining, stop asking questions. Just kind of like, do what I tell you when I tell you. This time, I kind of think it's both. But a lot of times, I think you're right. (laughs) She just doesn't want to listen to it. Zareen asks then, okay, uh, so he can leave? Uh, May I? And just gets a look from Moraine. It's like, I didn't think so. And then she turns to Perrin and says, Blacksmith, if I live through this, I will make you pay. Like, really? How is this his fault? Oh, he just had to be so dang interesting that she followed. Moraine believes Bilal's plan is to take Kalendor. But he can't do it directly, because only the Dragon Reborn can take it. So he's hoping to lure Rand into taking Kalendor, and then he will take it from Rand, and probably kill him with it. That's what she's discerned. When they found that Samael of Forsaken was posing as a leader in Ilian, the Council of Nine, that's it. He was one of the Council of Nine. Council of Nine what? Lords? <laughs> They're probably lords, too, okay? But the Council of Nine, he's one of those. Anyways, as soon as they learned he was in charge, they ran. Take it on the road, baby. I mean, they were gone, out of there. Yeah. So does that mean we need to run now? And she's like, no, no, this time we have to fight. The fate of the world rests on Rand, the dragon reborn. We cannot just let Bilal follow through on his plans and kill Rand. The difference in problem was the first time they were still following Rand. This time, they think this is where he was coming. So, like, there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. As the chapter proceeds, and this is our longest chapter of the three, oh, good. Uh, we get a bunch of information dropped on us. So, let's break it down. First, what do we learn about the Forsaken as a whole? There's not a lot known about them. For example, their strength, specifically strength in the power, it's kind of a big mystery. They could be like the most powerful channelers that ever lived ever, or they might be somewhere in the middle. And how do you compare something that no one's seen for thousands of years? The only thing that really is known is that amongst them, Ishamael and Lanfear were the strongest. Moraine also shares, because we don't know how strong the Forsaken are, but we can assume they are all collectively pretty strong, just from the legends from the Age of Legends, the War of Power, I have to be very careful with my channeling. Because it's believed that even the weakest of the Forsaken could detect anything if someone channeled nearby. Now what's nearby? Who knows? She believes that if she was in tier here and she did any channeling, like uh, creating a ward around the room so they can't be detected or overheard, he'd sense it, and he's powerful enough he could rip them to shreds even from where he's at. He wouldn't have to come. He could just, wait, someone's channeling, zap, and they're gone. Is that accurate? Well, it's better not to find out. Yeah, and that's a good question. Is it accurate? They really don't know, but they believe. That's probably the way it is. Yeah. The best way to test that would get you killed if you're right. So just like, don't. Yeah. She concludes, really, that 
their best chance is to stay under the radar. I gotta make sure he doesn't notice us. Moraine then comments, I've learned some things since I first came to you in Emmons Field. I'm a lot more dangerous. This is like almost close to bragging. Mm. She says, you know, for example, I know Balefire now. So here we get confirmation. She did not know Balefire when she picked them up in Emma's Field. That is something she's learned along the way. We have previously in episodes talked about believing she picked it up at Adelaus and Van Deen's mm-hmm. shack. But it also goes to kind of show and maybe throw some doubt into some thoughts of times she may have used Balefire earlier in the series, but it wasn't specified. Not very likely if she didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But basically, Balefire is the key piece she's referencing here. If she can get close enough to Bilal undetected, she can use Balefire to take him out. And no one has a shot against Balefire. You're done. It's that moment where you kind of are saying, look, in this world of fantasy, I have a human gun. And if I walk up to someone and they don't see me, they did. It's not gonna matter. I have a human gun. Then Moraine talks to Loyal. and She says, okay, we don't really know everything we'd like to know about the Forsaken. What can you tell us of Bilal? And actually, Zareen goes off about this. This was an interesting little trigger moment for her, which she's like, what do you mean you don't know about Bilal? You've got us here in this town against a Forsaken, and you don't know? I said, I know everything. And basically, she's like, quiet, child. But then she does actually take the time to explain. Ogier have knowledge that is essential because it's more pure than what people know. Since the breaking of the world, when Bilal would have been around, it's been over a hundred generations for people. That's a lot of time for knowledge to be lost, Mm -hmm. things to get confused, and just plain old screwed up. Ever played that game, Telephone? You know? Yes. Pass a word to someone? and Um, Yeah. Most people have at least heard of it. And just going through a few people, how garbled it gets? Sure. Now, let's take knowledge through over a hundred generations. Gets pretty garbled. But because Ogier have such longer lifespans, it's been less than 30 generations for them since the breaking of the world. So again, their knowledge, more pure. Then you add to the fact how much they revere knowledge, which Mm -hmm. we get from learning about Loyal. They're going to remember more. Now, we have to assume and know that neither from the Age of Legends... Nor from the next, I don't know, thousand years after that, did people care enough about writing and preserving books. Mm-hmm. Because those initial texts make generation hopping not matter because you just go back to the original source. You're fine. Uh-huh. Apparently books are a problem. So what can Loyal tell us about Bilal? Well... He was called the Envious, as he forsook the light and joined the shadow out of envy over Luce Theron. As well as some others, like he was envious of Hishamiel, he was envious of Lanfear, two that, again, we've earlier said were believed to be more powerful than him. Interesting. In this moment, while I can't say anything about it, it'd be really interesting to know who turned dark first. I can't actually say the answers here. Can't say that. Nope. We know he was involved in something called the Raising of the Hall of Servants. Raising as in tearing down and destroying, not as in lifting up and barn building. Ah. But we don't get any context to that. Hint, hint. You will, but not yet. 
He was called the Netweaver, though the reason for the term is lost. Okay, but that makes a lot of just like, feel like it's self-explanatory, right? Hmm. He likes fish. He likes salmon. (laughs) Yes, he he used to go out dip netting every other week during uh, Salmon Run. Uh, it was Dude, most people listening do not know what dip netting is. No, but now we get to educate you, them. Alaskan. <laughs> this is not a podcast about Alaskan life, but if you'd like to know about dip netting, you can email mm-hmm. Zach at fantasyoftheages at gmail.com. Hit him up on our Discord, or you can look up dip netting on Wikipedia. That, or just really go raid NPR's inbox and tell them they need to make a sub-show of This American Life called This Alaskan Life. I should not host (laughs) it. There are better people to host it, but it should happen. I thought there was a Alaskan Life. Was it uh, Ice Road Truckers? Yeah, or was it Deadliest Catch? Okay, reality TV show is not <laughs> reality, and we all know this. Also, Loyal shares about Bilal that it's known he beat Luz Theron at a game of stones once, and he bragged about it for the rest of the time he was interacting with people. Very proud to have defeated Luz Theron. He was the third best in chess club, got it. We also know he was one of the leaders for the light against the Dark One during the War of the Shadow until he turned to the Shadow. So he was a high exalted position and he was like side by side with Samael, the Ilianer guy now. Mm -hmm. They were both basically generals in the war for the light and yet somehow then got turned to the dark side so what i'm hearing is if we appreciate you we value you but we like someone else a little bit more you will betray us and stab us in the back got it pretty much screw you i'm going to the dark they have cookies (laughs) moraine takes this knowledge and she feels it affirms that Bilal has been scheming also known as weaving nets to trap Rand. See, I told you it was self-explanatory. Yeah, but I explained it anyways then. And his ultimate goal is to get Kalendor as a way of once again beating the dragon. Because the dragon is prophesied to take Kalendor, and then he's going to take it from the dragon and beat him with it. That kind of fits his character. Yes, he's not going to tickle the dragon. He's going to beat him. As the High Lord Salmon, I still chuckle every time I say that, Bilal is in the Stone of Tear. He's waiting for Ran to walk into his trap, his net. Moraine must get inside the Stone of Tear to stop him. And Lan says, well, I will go with you. She's like, what? No, I will go with you. It said you just edited the notes. What did you just do? You know you did not. He just wrote... He just changed the High Lord Salmon, and he added an L. It is the High Lord Salmon now. Well, it was saying it was spelt wrong the whole time. <laughs> you turd. That was funny. <laughs> what the heck was I saying now? I don't know. Okay. Do I. I was waiting for you to notice. <laughs> Ah, yes, the quality of this podcast again. And please, as we said, join us on Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about the edit break. (laughs) Uh, Uh, No, no, this is good. This is goodness. This stays in there. Okay. Lan's going to find a way into the stone. 
on Lan's insistence, it will be for the both of them. Because again, Moraine wants to pull a Ilian thing. I'm going to take care of this. You can't help me. And Lan's like, uh uh uh. uh. We're not doing that business again. I am with you. But as for the rest of you, again, stay. Lan then says, okay, there's one more thing here. Uh, you know, in the midst of everything you revealed about Bilal, this almost was out of my mind, but this is important too, I think. I've seen Aiel here in Tyr. Now, not walking the streets. I saw three di- on three different occasions Aiel up on the rooftops. Ah. And if I saw three, there's a bunch more. Oh, yeah. Because they're really good at evading being seen. And Moraine's like, huh, Aiel in Tyr... I don't know anything that would make that relevant at all. I, I have no idea what that means. But Perrin, he speaks up about what the Aiel and Remen that he freed, Gaul, had shared. That the Aiel have a prophecy that when the stone falls, the Aiel will leave the threefold land, which we know as the Aiel Waste. Moraine says, I've never heard of this. That's not any part of the prophecies of the dragon. Okay, Moraine. Which frustrates her. You gotta think outside the box. Go to Taco Bell instead. They will tell you there are more prophecies. Not sponsored by Taco Bell yet, but I'm looking at you. <laughs> but that's the thing. She she has studied for years the prophecies of the dragon, and this is an eye-opening moment that, what, what, wait, there's other prophecies? Other prophecies about this stuff? Yes, Moraine. Yes, there are. And we shall hear more. As the story moves along. But (gasps) right now, it just ticks her off and frustrates her. It's like, I'm going into this half blind. There's more information I should know, apparently, and I've never even heard of it. And now I'm supposed to deal with Bilal. (sighs) The chapter ends as Lan is directed. Okay, head out. Go. Find our way into the stone. Yep. And the rest of you, just do what you want to do right here. Yeah, Don't do what else. you want to do so long as it doesn't involve actually doing anything. That's right. There's a lot of waiting in this book, especially for Perrin and company. And Perrin, with this time to wait, he settles down to figure out, okay, man, Zareen, she's confusing the heck out of me, and I'm not sure how I feel about her. He's going to spend some time thinking about his falcon. That's the end of the chapter, and we move to chapter 51. Bait for the net. Ah, the one that was being woven? Yes, it is. It's exactly that net. So maybe it's not a good sign that we're moving over to Nynaeve. No, probably not. We haven't had many of her POV moments in these first three books, but this one's all Nynaeve. She's out on a street in the mall, a bit surprised, because she swears she just glimpsed down the street someone that looked like Rand. It was. Like, it it could have been Rand. It was. Then a wagon had crossed in front of her view, and when it's gone, so is he. She's like, but it couldn't have been Rand. I mean, he we left him all the way out in Almuth Plain. Why in the world would he be all the way now here in Tyr, clear across the continent? That makes no sense. Well, Nynaeve, there's two options with that kind of, uh, you see him and then you suddenly don't. It's either Rand or it's Jason Bourne. Really? Yep. Those are the. Please explain the Jason Bourne reference. Nope. Those are the only options. (laughs) That is it. I've watched all the Jason Bourne movies. What the heck are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) The next moment a man walking nearby with a basket on his back with fish in it, he trips. 
and the fish all go flying up into the air, and then they come landing down on the ground in a perfect circle, all of them nose first, tail straight up in the air. Freaky. That's a little bit weird, but on the bright side, if it's nose first, tail's in the air, uh, assuming they haven't been completely gutted and cleaned already, that's still good fish. Just pick them up. That is. Seems like an amazing coincidence they would all land just perfect like that. Have we ever seen any other amazing, logic-defying coincidences? I don't know. We've never seen a whole bunch of white cloaks do random things that made no sense and a whole bunch of random people getting married. And No, none of those weird, chancy things. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nobody we know where just these freak coincidences happen every time he's around. Nothing. <laughs> okay, Nynaeve finishes her business. Ironically, she's in the mall shopping. That's not ironic, it's just accurate. And she turns to head back to Iowin's <laughs> home, and she nearly trips herself as she turns swiftly because she's got those silly clogs on her feet. But she's not sinking into the mud. It turns out these clogs take a little bit of getting used to, though. Now she's frustrated, and Nani is an easily frustrated person. Right now she's frustrated at the high prices she's been encountering. Inflation. And she knows. Yeah, there's a reason. Elaine actually tried to explain some of the economics of things, like this civil war in Kyrian, it's disrupted trade, everything's harder to get, it's all a mess. Look, Elaine, yeah, Nynaeve, Nynaeve just... doesn't care about the economics lesson. She's not an economics professor. She's just Nynaeve, and she does not want to pay seven gold for a loaf of bread. It's just annoying. But also she's annoyed at how everyone here seems to be so worn down. And part of it is, okay, there's a civil war, fine. Things have been a little harder to get over the last year. But she grew up in the two rivers. She's seen year after year where things don't work out right. The crops don't come in. The, the hunting isn't as fruitful as you thought. The peddler is late, whatever. And the people of the two rivers just pick themselves up and keep on going. Nynaeve. The Two Rivers is uni unique. These people, a little bit of hard times, they want to curl up into a ball and die. The unfortunate reality is, these people are closer to the norm in the world. There's a reason why everyone talks about the Two Rivers being stubborn stock. However, there is more to this. Correct. And when you put together what Loyal and Perrin were noticing, and now with what Nynaeve is seeing... And knowing that there is a Forsaken in charge, connect some dots. There's something going on here. We're going to get to more of that later. Uh, as Nynaeve continues on heading back to the house, her thoughts go towards the ongoing frustration she's having with Egwene. Mm. She's thinking, maybe I should really be more patient, but Egwene is being such a child. She's objecting to everything I suggest, even the most logical things. And then she's like, but maybe it's these dreams we're having. And we get notice that Egwene, Elaine, Nynaeve, they've all been troubled by dreams. Dreams about a man in silver hair reaching for a glowing sword, that sort of thing. They're all getting bugged by these dreams every night now. And that kind of does wear you down a little bit. Weird. But she does think at least... Even though Egwene doesn't want to agree with anything I think is a good idea, I did win in one area. Since that first night where she went into Teleron Riyadh and saw the Black Aja here, she convinced her not to go back into Teleron Riyadh. 
Now, of course, that leads her thoughts to the Black Aja. Mm-hmm. And gets her muttering out loud to herself. They make her pretty angry. That's fair. Why would she have a reason to be personally angry about the Black Aja, Zach? I mean, it's not like one of them maybe duped them into following her through the ways and then trying to sell them all into slavery and successfully doing it with Egwene. Nah, that Mm, definitely didn't happen in the last book. (laughs) She has no truck for them then. She's committed to hunting every last one of them down. And of course, thinking about hunting Aes Sedai and getting payback leads her to thinking about Moraine, (laughs) the real source of all their problems as Nynaeve sees it. She hates Moraine Mm -hmm. because everything that's gone wrong for the Emmons Field folk, it goes back to when she showed up in the Two Rivers and she got them to go. She might not be Black Aja, but she might be worse. She hates Moraine almost as much as she hates Leandrin, almost as much as she hates the Shanchan. That's impressive. Her joyful stewing over Moraine hate is interrupted by Julian Sandar, our thief catcher, who says, Oh, there you are. I've been looking for you. Apparently, he has found the women that she hired him to search for. And now the others back at Mother Gwena's house are waiting for her to return so we can talk about this. Oh, okay. Let's go back. Nynaeve, though, notes, but... Uh, Julian, you seem nervous. What's wrong? Did you let them discover that you were interested in them? And he's like, no, 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 no. I I did not reveal myself. What troubles me is that these women are guests of the High Lord Salmon in the stone. Yeah. How did you call them thieves? Nynaeve, you look a little sus. Nynaeve tries to ease his mind. I I will explain everything. No, she won't. Let's just get back to Mother Gwenna's. Once they do arrive at the house, they go around back as normal, and Juwilin, he stops out back to clean off his clogs. But Nynaeve, she just hurries inside. And as she walks in, instantly she can tell something's wrong. I'm being ambushed, because there's Mother Gwenna, sitting in a chair, arms at her side, rigidly in place with her eyes bulging out, and she's fighting against okay. nothing. When we say eyes bulging out, this isn't like grotesque squeezing. This is just like... No, no. She's upset. With effort. Yeah. I just wanted to be clear because like it could go the other way and it's a much darker picture if it is. Yeah, not quite that. Nynaeve is able to tell she's being held to that chair with weaves of ear. (laughs) Weaves of air. Nah, they're ear weaves. And she's basically, dang it, Juillen, you blew it. The Black Aja know we're here. At that moment, the door opens from the other part of the house, and Leandrin walks in, condescendingly beginning to talk to Nynaeve, more or less, ha-ha, we have you, and Nynaeve just hauls off and punches her in the nose. Look, wham, girl goes down. You might cockily be like, hey, we shielded you from getting the one power. You're useless, but Nynaeve trained in the school of thumping sticks. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had not noticed that her first move was to try to grab Sidar. And uh, it's not there. She runs into like a glass wall, a barrier protecting her, not allowing her to get to the source. 
So yeah, we're Leandrin and Rihanna, another one who walks in with her, another black sister. They're clearly like, ha ha ha, we have you. And Leandrin's like, no, you aren't. Bam, girl. And then she backhands Rihanna. They're both down. She goes running to try to get out of the house, hoping to get far enough away she can be free of the shield because they've shielded her from the power. Mm -hmm. And before she can make it to the door, she's getting beaten. Now, not physically, but yes, physically, because it's being done with weaves of air. Yeah, so she's still feeling it. She feels fists and sticks. Yep, you can't see a thing, but she's being mercilessly pummeled all over her body. She still tries to get to the door, but the beating is so severe, she ends up just on the ground, whimpering. They have her. Rihanna comments then, All right, well, we've accomplished what we needed. I guess we can kill this one, gesturing to Aowen, who's like, (laughs) Leandrin, though, stops her. It's like, always, you kill too quickly. And only the great lord can make use of the dead. So while Rihanna was ready to stop Aowen's heart, Leandrin's like, no, no, and talks to her. Says, okay, you know we came from the high lord's salmon. If you stay quiet... You may live to serve another day. Speak to no one of what you've seen here today. And Aowen agrees. I'll hold my tongue. I mean, who'd believe me anyways? And we're reminded again, the peons versus the high lords, Mm -hmm. there's no contest in the power structure. If she was to accuse the high lord of something, she could be the one who ends up in jail anyways. Or worse. Or worse. Nynaeve tells her right away, it's all right. I know if you could help, you would have. And Rihanna just laughs about that as she and Leandrin drag Nynaeve up and haul her off to the front room of the building where, ta-da, more Black Sisters and Elaine and Egwene. So the other two were already captured. Now the whole party can start. Yeah, Elaine's got a black eye, a swollen cheek, a split lip, a sleeve on her dress is half pulled off. Clearly she put up a fight, but nothing compared to what Egwene did. Because Egwene is down on the ground a beaten, bloody mess, and unconscious. And basically, when they captured her, when they cut her off from the source, she had no quit in her. She fought and fought and fought until they beat her senseless. She is a trauma survivor and not keen to go through anymore. No, she will not stand for being captured. The three women then are bundled out of the front of the building. So, ooh, the front door gets used for once. And what? waiting out in front now is is a coach with horses. The coach has the sigil on its side that she, Nynaeve, assumes this must be High Lord Salmon's thing. She heard, you know, we've come from High Lord Salmon. Thus, Nynaeve assumes he must be a dark friend, and the Black Sisters are using him. But she's less interested in the carriage and this High Lord than she is with the man she sees standing out there now, Jewel and Sandar. She's like, you Sandar, why? Well, I mean, but the conversation clarifies quickly he's not a dark friend. No, so why did he do it? Well, he didn't really get a choice. That's it. They had detected him somehow, despite his care, his trying to be sneaky, and they forced his cooperation. He did say he was going to treat them as if they were Black Aja, not like. They're actually Black Aja, and I need to actually be careful of that. No, So, <laughs> not his fault. Yep. 
So he gets left there, and the Aes Sedai and the girls are heading back via carriage to the stone. While traveling, Nynaeve speaks to them regarding Egwene, who's still unconscious here, and says, If you've killed her, I will hunt you down like wild dogs. And the response Leandrin gives is, uh, We wouldn't kill her. You are all wanted alive, as bait. And Nynaeve and Elaine, they put on a little bit of show saying, You fools! Do you think we'd actually be the only ones here in Tyr after you? You've walked into a trap! Now, of course, they're the only ones in Tyr after them, and they're blowing smoke. But they're trying. Leandrin doesn't seem particularly worried. She only smiles. She says, once your use as bait is done, we'll get all the answers we need out of you. After all, Great Master Bilal has plans. He is sending for 13 Merdral. Well, What's the significance of that, Zach? Yeah, there might be a whole thing where 13 channelers and 13 Merdral can forcibly turn someone to the dark side. We learned about it in a whole accepted test con- confirmed via mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. other Aes Sedai. Afterwards, it's terrifying to have it directly implied that, um, hey, we're going to use you, torture you, and then turn you. As the realizations sink in for Nynaeve that they're being taken to a forsaken and they're going to be turned to the shadow, she starts screaming. And as she starts screaming, she realizes Elaine is already screaming. End of chapter. The carriage is soundproofed. It apparently holds screaming people a lot. Apparently. Or they just don't seem to care. In fact, no one in tear cares. Leandrin and Rihanna are noted as laughing while the girls are screaming. Our final chapter today is a fairly short one, chapter 52, In Search of a Remedy. And here we return to Matt Cawthon and his bloody luck. They've been hunting for days, Matt and Tom, looking mm-hmm. for the girls. And Matt realizes here that his focus on the girls has been so tunnel-visioned, single-minded, that he had overlooked how much Tom has been deteriorating, how bad his cough has been getting. He's in a mess, really bad shape now. So much so that Matt asked the innkeeper, I need to get some help for Tom. Where might you point me to? And he's been told about a wise woman out in the mall who knows herbs and things and should be able to fix up something that can help Tom. Well, that would be good. Yeah. Now, Tom's annoyed at all this fuss. He's like, I I just need a few more hours of rest in bed. I'll be fine and we can get back to looking for the girls. And Matt's like, no. You're screwed up right now, dude. There are two kinds of people that you should never listen to when they say they're fine. One, sick people. Two, intoxicated people. Mm. So here they are. He didn't listen to him because he's a sick person. And they're headed through the mall. And it's not a lot of fun because the mall is all this thick mud and there's no clogs involved here. They're working through it. And Matt realizes he's practically carrying Tom because Tom is really worn out by this cough he's been dealing with. He's in bad shape. As they work through the muck, they arrive at the front of the house that was described as having herbs hanging in the window, and Matt notes tracks of horses pulling a wagon, maybe a carriage, right out in front of the place, just beginning to be obliterated by the passing of feet. Ah, Can't have been that long ago. And he notes, I haven't seen anything like a carriage outside this walled city before. 
It's kind of an oddity. They go right up to the front door and Matt knocks. Gives it some time. They knocks again. Nothing. Finally, he knocks one more time. And he's just about to give up when the door opens a crack and a tired voice from inside asks what he wants. And here we get the confirmation that readers may have already figured out Matt has brought Tom to, of all people, Mother Gwenna. See, Matt, Tom being sick was your luck. It's your fault. You just didn't listen early enough. Matt explains the need about Tom's cough, hoping something can be done to help him, and she opens the door, allows them in, leads them all the way back to the back of the house. She's like, yeah, at least this is something I can do. She starts brewing a tea, an awful-smelling tea. Which, of course, must mean it's medicinal, because everybody knows medicine tastes awful. Mm. While waiting, Matt notices three horses tied up out back. Huh. Hadn't seen much for horses, except for nobles and the wealthy, and these look like really fine horses. Zach, why would Matt know about the quality of horses? Can you remind us? Uh, His dad is a horse trader. Yes. It's what he's grown up knowing. The tea is ready now. Mother Gwenna forces Tom to drink it. Literally. She like she's got a, a good lock on his head, holding it back, even then with the with one nose one nose. With one hand that's around that arm. Okay, hands around an arm. I cannot bloom and talk right now. She's shoving it down his throat. But she pinches his nose and forces him to drink it. Spluttering all the way. It worked. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's drunk the medicine. Now, to make what goes on a little briefer, let me just say that there's some small chat that goes on between Matt and Mother Gwenna, and he realizes through this his luck has kicked in big time because the three girls he's been looking for have been staying here. Mm -hmm. But when he gets down to the details about it, Mother Gwenna doesn't seem to want to talk. And he presses her and she says, okay, I've been threatened, and explains And as there's nothing you're going to be able to do to help the girls anyways, there's no point in me losing my tongue or being killed over it. Matt swears he will never reveal where he gets his information. But in the end, it's really the goodness of Mother Gwenna that wins out. Or her guilt. And she opens up. Yeah, that could be it too. But she'd feel guilty because she's a good person. Bad people don't feel guilty about doing bad things. That's a little bit of an overgeneralization, but you're not entirely wrong probably, so... I'll acknowledge it's an overgeneralization, but it serves my point. Yes. (laughs) Anyways, she shares, you missed them by just three hours. They've been taken to the Stone of Tear, sent for by the High Lord Salmon. And they were taken by women who could channel. They were taken by Aes Sedai. You can't do a thing about this, son. At first, Matt relaxes when he hears they were collected by Aes Sedai. Why? Well, because that's a good thing. Right? Shouldn't it be? I mean, that means, worst case scenario, they did not get picked up by the people that Lord Gabriel was sending. They already had met Mm -hmm. the one they knew, but maybe Mm -hmm. there were others, and that could have been a problem. But if their eyes to die, that can't work out. Then Mother Gwen explains, okay, so these women could channel, but you need to understand, they were hurting us. They were beating the girls. They were being cruel, and they were talking in ways that were just not eyes to die. Not right. So that's a problem. Matt loses himself in thought for a moment over the thought of the girls being hurt by these eyes to die. 
And then again, at the fact that he realizes he walked right past this Bloomin' house the first night when they got off the ship. And he even recalls now he looked directly at this house. It was one of the things that just kind of jumped into his, his vision for a minute as they're walking along. And he realizes this was his luck back then telling him, hey, what about this place? Check this out. And he dismissed it completely because he didn't realize how his luck worked yeah. yet. He used his head too much. He actually was thinking rather than, you know, just rolling with the randomness. Right. Mother Gwenna breaks him out of his, his wandering thoughts by saying, you know, if you hurt your hand, I'll fix it. But if you damage my wall, I will strip your hide. At which point he realizes he's punched the wall in his frustration. Matt fishes out his last two Andorin gold crowns, gives them to Mother Gwenna for Tom's medicine, he says, and for the info on the girls. And then he startles her with a quick kiss on the cheek. That's just for me. Matt, you need to always ask for consent. He announces, I'm going to get the girls out of the stone. And she's like, uh, just like that? And for Matt? Yeah, it really is that simple. He doesn't know how he's going to do it. He certainly doesn't want to die doing it. But it's got to be done. He's going to find a way. He asks if he can leave Tom here in her care. And she's like, of course. Despite Tom's protests, he's like, no, 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 you need my help. I'm coming. And the wise woman's like, you're not going anywhere. And he's so weak, he can't push past her. Yeah, it's like, Tom, you're not going anywhere. She slipped you sleeping drugs while you were thinking it was medicine. With a laugh, he heads back then. Matt does. Out into the mall, back towards the city. And the laughter partly comes out of him because he can feel dice tumbling in his head. And that's the end of the chapter and the end of our Wheel of Time content this episode. Woohoo! So before we jump to a spoiler room section here, we want to remind everybody, find us on Discord. Come join us. Talk with all of us. We've got a nice community there who love the Wheel of Time and other fantasy content and sci-fi. You can find the Discord invitation link in our show notes, and it's always on our Twitter bio, which reminds us we're all over social media. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We do have an email if you're old school and just want to send us a genuine letter electronically. Fantasyfortheages at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read and respond. We do not have a P.O. box if you want to send us a physical letter. So um, put it in a digital format, please. We do have some limited merch at a merch shop that you can also find the link for here. And if there's other kinds of merch you'd like to see... I still think we ought to probably come up with some version of we're not that kind of podcast t-shirt. But if there's something you're interested in, let us know through any of those ways we've shared that you can connect with us. And one last plug for today, we'd love your patron support on Patreon. So look for Fantasy for the Ages at patreon.com. If you are a first-time reader, now is the time to go because Zach and I are going to jump into the spoiler room and each completely spoil the heck out of something we've talked about today. It was good having you. Bye. The spoiler room. All right, let's roll to see who goes first. I'm It'll rolling my you. big one here. Ha. <laughs> Probably. I didn't roll terribly. Probably not. I rolled a three again. Ooh. I got a 15. That's two weeks in a row. Did you use the same die both times? I did. I promise I didn't intentionally (gasps) wait it. It's a weighted die. I promise I didn't (laughs) intentionally wait it. All right, what would you like to spoil, son? That's a thing. Okay. 
it's less of a spoil this time and more of a little bit of just like a tiny rant here. Okay. Like Forsaken are powerful, right? And yes, we know that, we understand that, we believe that. But it's another one of those things where in the early books, the bad guys are a lot scarier and more powerful than they are in later books. Like they're still formidable foes, but we go, yeah, if we even channel in the same city, they'll know and blink is out of existence. It's like, no, they won't. Well, that's it though. Isn't it more just perception? And it really is. It's not that they're that powerful. It's what we think of them. A perception of it. But it is nowhere near it. My point being, you also get this kind of with like Trollocs, where in the first book is like, oh, a handful of them is a kind of bit of a problem, especially Murdral. And then like later on in the series, it's like, hey, all of our characters, whether they are super or not, just kind of cut through all of them with ease. And non-channelers go toe-to-toe with these powerful channelers and... They leveled up. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, it feels almost incongruous just in the fact that we're led to believe people are a lot more powerful than they are. In truth, the Forsaken are, at least for the most part, all more powerful than pretty much all-ish of our known recognized channelers in the world now. That's still true. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're not gods. They still bleed. Yeah, I don't have an issue with the rant that you're you're, you're making here. Because I think it plays well into Robert Jordan's uh, third-person narrative here. That uh, they have the limited perspective of what they know. And what they know is not necessarily what is real. I mean, I don't know exactly where my rant was going entirely. <laughs> what exactly I'm frustrated <laughs> with. Because, like, on that side of things i agree that's accurate but i think i kind of wanted to see at least one of them actually be that level of ridiculously powerful and i know we get to see people do ridiculously powerful things but the scale that we could imagine would be really awesome and i don't think i even actually really spoiled anything so this was a lame spoiler room on my part but you go for it (sighs) But, you know, tying into the spirit of spoilage, when we get to a memory of light, Demondred is pretty badass and powerful. And yeah. some of the things he does are pretty, whoa. He's also killed by a non-channeler. Through a bit of luck and no. arrogance on Demandred's part. D- d- yes, arrogance. It's not luck, it's determination. But if Demandred had just focused on him and said, zap... Never would have happened. Exactly. So a that's, lot more to do that's with the arrogance. With arrogance. Part. And that's where I say that's a little bit of luck because why didn't he just decide? You know, the fact that he is going to be that arrogant is a little bit of luck for our guy. Our guy but, beat okay. the person, not the power. True. All right. What I'm going to spoil, I want to talk a little bit more about Balefire. Please do. So, all right. We, we have the clear recognition. This is the, the secret weapon. This is the equalizer. This is the thing that we can use to take out Bilal, which we'll see a little later, indeed, does the trick. And yet, it's a weapon fraught with issues. It's going to be used again and again and again and again. And because it's so effective in taking out Forsaken, mm-hmm. solving major problems at times, we're like, well... 
why not just use it all the time? But of course, we're going to come to learn it has some massive side effects that will, you know, when we by the time we get to memory of light is causing the world to disintegrate around them. The pattern is breaking down and and yeah, not good. Which two sides of this. The one good thing it's really nice that Balefire gives our good guys a way to perma-kill the Forsaken, because anything else, the Dark One could just be like, hey, you're back. On the other side of things, why did the Dark One not just tell people, hey, use Balefire a lot, because that'll break the pattern. And yet, he might have. He may have wanted them to use Balefire a lot. It was the Dark Ones fighting during the War of Shadow that jointly agreed with the good side to stop using it. Why? Because, remember, they're not about tearing down the world. No. That's just they the Dark They want one. to rule it. The they Dark want One wants to, say, to break it. They want to, the power to, you know, to rule the world. It's going to be theirs, and if they destroy it all, they can't do that. But just, yeah, it's it's an interesting creation, Balefire. It was absolutely necessary. So, like, Rand will go on to use it intentionally, mm-hmm. and one might say justified to use it in those limited moments, because only way to erase a forsaken for good uh and those they had to go <laughs> it was legitimate usage and yet you can't just keep using it quick hypothetical for you so we see rand use a choden call to do balefire and destroy like an entire castle right natrum's barrow yeah but if he were to say go full ltt and call down the one power on himself, but as Balefire, with the power <laughs> of the Choden Call, would that one act be enough to break everything? Like, the wheel. Eliana, you're alive again! <laughs> As I did that much, it went that far back. feel like there'd, it'd be big problems, but also, like, possibly effective. Does it work to Balefire yourself and fix your mistakes? Yeah, I don't think so. It's complicated. There are reasons no one ever tried it. But we never see anybody do anything quite that suicidal, so we'll never know. All right, that's what we've got for spoilage this time. Thanks for being here and listening to this. Thanks, Zach. Always enjoy talking with you. Thanks, Dad. Got anything else? Nope. All right, we'll talk to you next time. 